Hello everyone. So I'm just recording this voice segment on the actual day that I'm releasing the episode, because obviously it's been a few months since the last Built on Hope episode has been released, and there is a reason for that that I just wanted to touch on kind of before we jump in. So I think we can all understand the sentiment that this last year and a half has been rather crazy for a lot of people. And over the past few months, there it really hasn't been an exception for us. So obviously with the Gows, they work in education, which is a crazy field to be in at the moment. And then for me, over the last few months, I've started my first business, moved house, all these different crazy things have been going on, which has meant that we haven't really had time to edit. And the thing we do with Built on Hope is that we want to put out the best quality content possible, which means that we usually spend about twice as much time editing our episodes as we actually spend writing and recording them, which, you know, that means that they come out good. But the result of that is that when craziness comes up and you've already recorded an, ep an episode, then you might have a circumstance such as here, where we recorded the episode three or four months ago, something like that. And just because of all the crazy circumstances that have been going on to us, we haven't been able to edit it and get it out yet. So, you know, obviously we're all fine. We've just been busy and we're not going to stop the podcast. We're going to keep it going for as long as we can because we enjoy what we're doing. And it seems that the community seems to be enjoying it as well, which is absolutely amazing. That's precisely what we want to happen. But just do keep that in mind as you are listening to the episode today that it is a few months old. So the dates and stuff that we are going to go into won't exactly be completely relevant. So, the, so some tournaments we speak about will have already passed and those kinds of things. But there is one date that I would like to get to, which hasn't passed yet. And we spoke about it as a theory in the episode, but now it is actually a reality. And that date is July 31st in Birmingham here in the UK. And we are very excited to announce that David will be running the first in-person Imperial Assault Continuity Project tournament at UK Games Expo, which is bound to be exciting. I'm very much looking forward to it. So by the time this podcast is getting released, that's about a week away. So if you are listening to this, do go to the UK Games Expo website and do sign up because it's bound to be a good time. It's going to follow the approved format, all the things. I'll attach a link in the podcast description below, essentially, so that you can go follow that and be sure to sign up soon. We still have a few spots available and it would be lovely to see that tournament fill out because, you know, it can really show that IACP is around and it's kicking even outside of virtual play. And obviously, because everything has been going on, then the news has been cut and everything, of course. So what we'll do is I'll go through the news here right now before the episode starts. And then again, just keep in mind as you listen to the total episode, we're going to be referring to some things as recent, which aren't actually recent anymore and those kinds of things. But on to news. First and foremost, we had four excellent Vassal seasonal tournaments that occurred over the course of the past couple of months. Now, if you played in one of these, then you will be getting your prizes. And as per usual, then if you are in Europe or anywhere which is not North America, then, you know, as soon as I get the prizes, I will ship them out to you directly. So I'll be reaching out for addresses in the next coming weeks. And if you live in North America, so Canada or the United States, then another member of the steering committee Essentially, I will send all of the prizes for players in North America to that committee member who will then redistribute prizes around in North America for, I think, obvious reasons. Otherwise, shipping prizes would just be far, far too high. And so prizes should be shipped out in the next few weeks. All the prizes have been designed, commissioned, all those kinds of things. The only thing that we have to do is, you know, we've got to get them delivered to us. So we've got to get the cards printed, get the mats cut and all those things. And then once that's done, they'll be making their way to you. In other news, we also have Season 6 spoiler articles. They have been occurring on the ISCP website in the last few weeks. And 
I mean, if you have any interest in Imperial Solvent, do go give them a look because there are a lot of very, very fun combos, such as what has been spoiled so far. Moff Gideon, Bib Fortuna, and a whole new version of The Mandalorian, in addition to a ton of reworks and all those kinds of fun, fun things. So it's, it's going to be a very fun season. I'm looking forward to getting it out onto the table in the Playtest League coming up very soon. And honestly, I think we're probably going to get into what the spoiled cards are with the rest of the Bills on Hope crew in an upcoming episode. Should be out in a few weeks or so, as that is, of course, what we do every single season. And finally, what I just want to touch on is the fact that the steering committee has gone through a few changes in the last few months. We have two fresh faces who have joined us over the course of the past few months, one of which is Josh Songer, who is on this podcast later on, so you can listen to him and talk about his experience there, and also Morgan G. These are two incredible players, very, very talented individuals. I just want to give them both a huge shout out for being legendary people, and it's been an absolute pleasure working with the two of you. Really appreciate all the work you've put into it. I'm looking forward to seeing where the future of ICP will go with you two with us. That, of course, means that we've also had two people who have dropped out of the steering committee. And to those people, I just wish them all the best. It's been an absolute pleasure working with them. And I look forward to seeing what they do in the future. But ICP will go on. And we are very much looking forward to it. ICP is a lot of fun. And I think that pretty much sums up the things that have happened. It's it's actually been a rather calm few months as far as news is related. But in our personal lives, things have been crazy. So once again, apologies for that. And I think that's about it. So once again, I hope everyone enjoys the rest of this episode. Again, just keep in mind, it's a few months old. So don't panic when you hear that, you know, oh, there was approval voting that just happened. You didn't miss it. That was several months in the past where we do discuss it. So I hope that you do enjoy this episode. And I will see you in the next one. Hello, hello, listeners, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive Imperial Assault. I'm your host, Isaac, and it has been quite a while since our last couple of episodes, mainly because it's just been a crazy couple of months. I'm sure we can all attest to that. However, we have something very, very special for you in store today. We are bringing on the newest member of the IACP Steering Committee, and we're going to be asking him some questions, such as, what is your background in Imperial Assault? And what are his thoughts about the ICP steering committee? So it's going to be very interesting. And then at the end, because we had the season five approval voting happen just a couple of days ago, we are going to give our thoughts on the results and see what we agreed with, what we disagreed with, and if there was anything that surprised us. I think that's going to be a very interesting episode. And so without any further ado, let's first off introduce the one, the only, David. How are you doing, David? Yeah, pretty good. I hope everyone's doing well. I mean, we have had a really busy couple of months as well so definitely we haven't done as many episodes as uh, we wanted to but the uk is starting to come out of lockdown so we might be able to play in person soon and that'll make a big difference i think yeah that's definitely going to make things a lot more fun for one because you know we all enjoy playing in person and it would be very nice to be able to do that in person again because iscp has essentially been a digital game for the last year and it's been good you know we've run at this point well over half a dozen events probably even closer to a dozen uh, with players from all corners of the world joining which has been great but it's definitely going to be nice to get in person and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a little bit and yeah so unfortunately jess isn't able to join us today as she's feeling a little bit under the weather however she's going to be joining us with a new segment in a little bit but before we get into the new segment there are two things i just want to touch on before we go into news and we bring on the one the only josh songer who we will be interviewing today 
So first and foremost are the tournaments that are coming up in the very near future. And so I'm going to first and foremost talk about the virtual ones, and then David is going to talk about a very big in-person UK event, which is most likely happening in a couple of months' time. So we are hopefully going to be able to release this episode prior to the first VST for Season 5. And the dates for the first set of VSTs are as follows. The first event is on Saturday, the 8th of May, starting at 7pm CST, and it is the Asian-slash-North American one. So this will be the most optimal for you if you live in Asia or any of those areas, and it will be doable if you are in the North American time zone. If you are in Europe, feel free to join it if you want, but it starts between 1 and 2 a.m. our time, so good luck with that if you want to do that. And the second one is on the Sunday, the 23rd of May which has a 9 a.m. CST start time, which is the North American European one, which means that if you are in North America, it's going to be most optimal for you. If you are in Europe, it's definitely going to be doable. It's not going to be too long. It starts around noon, little afternoon for us, and that should be all well and good. And yeah, so I hope that everyone who is able does join this. Ticket prices are going to be $10, a little bit up from last time, but we are changing everything that we do on a, on a season-by-season basis so that we ensure that we get everything right. And sadly, last VST period, we had the European slash Asian events. However, they just weren't viable. There weren't enough people interested. And so we thought cutting it down to two would be better. So yeah, if you are interested in going to those, definitely be sure to check it out. I honestly can't tell you what the prices are just yet. As I said, it's been a crazy couple of months. There will definitely be prizes. We're going to have, as usual, participation, top four, and a winner's medal. However, exactly what those are, I cannot tell you that yet, because those are subject to change until the official announcement. And yeah, so before we go into the second point, David, do you want to talk about the UK Games Expo event for us? Yeah, sure. So as as Isaac said, um, in in the UK and Europe, we we seem to not be so into online events, but we do have an opportunity to hold a big tournament at the UK Games Expo. For those that aren't familiar with it, uh, it's pretty similar to something like Adepticon. It's like the big premier UK games expo. (laughs) Um, And usually it's actually quite hard to get a tournament slot there. So you you have to prove that your game is quite popular. So you need to have run events with certain attendance levels within the past year. Um, and, And you need to actually have at least 16 players attend. Um, or they may cancel the tournament. So in in the UK, we actually have over 20 people who have confirmed that they would like to attend a tournament at UK Games Expo. Uh, Expo is happening on Friday, July 30th to August 1st. So it, it's a three three-day event, and I'm looking to negotiate for our tournament to run on Saturday, Sunday. So you know, local folks who have to work, don't have issues getting in. We'll try to have Swiss on day one, and we'll do the top cut on day two with simultaneous side events for everyone else who unfortunately didn't make the top cut. Um, yeah, so I, I hope if anyone who's listening to this uh, and and wants to come to Expo would, would love to join us, that would be great. Uh, we might have a limited number of seats, though, because Expo this year is even more exclusive than usual. Uh, this is because the table sizes 
need to be tuned a bit um, due to social distancing rules. So they they won't be cramming us in quite as tightly as before. So hopefully it'll be more comfortable too. I, I am still arranging a lot of the other details, uh, but this will be an IACP tournament and I hope it'll be a lot of fun. Exactly. It's bound to be absolute barrels of fun because again, the mo- the last UK in-person ICP event was the one I ran in March of last year, which is all- which is more than 12 months ago. And the Imperial Salt community has never before gone 12 months consecutively without in-person tournaments. So the fact that we were able to get so much interest in them, I think it speaks volumes to how the game is doing, which is very, very good to see. And yeah, and even if you're out of the country, if you fancy going and visiting the UK for UK Games Expo and this event, be sure to do that. We have at least one American, the one and only Jake Peterson, who is actually considering going. Uh, we'll obviously see if that works out, but it will be great to obviously see a bunch of people show up. Yeah, so it'll be great to see a bunch of people. We we have also talked about getting a big house um, on Airbnb for attendees, but we've decided not to do this because of the the pandemic you know i don't don't want people to feel uncomfortable with that so and anyone who was waiting to book or to hear about an ia house at games expo unfortunately i will not be doing that yeah which means it's not out of the question you know if anyone does still want to do that but david and jess have already set their lodging arrangements so they won't be hosting it or anything which is all well and good all right so the next point i wanted to talk about real quick is the change in structure for the ICP steering committee. So in case you haven't heard, a couple of weeks ago, the one and only Noah Pistana, also known as TV Boy, member of the steering committee, has sadly stepped down. And this is a huge shame. He was an amazing member of the ICP steering committee. The work that he put into everything, you know, he was tracking all of the win rates for all the cards we were testing and did that manually by hand borderline on his own. The work he put in is absolutely legendary, and I do want to give him a shout-out, letting him know that he will definitely be missed, and we are so incredibly thankful for the work that he has put in, and wish him the best of luck in his future endeavours. Obviously, due to family issues, he's now pulling out, but I'm still hopeful for the future of ICP, which is why we have brought on the one, the only Josh Songer onto this episode. And, I mean, we've been alluding to this now for almost 10 minutes, so let's kick the ball rolling. Hello, Josh. How are you? Welcome so much to the Built on Hope podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. That's awesome. It is our absolute pleasure. And, and so I wanted to ask you, Josh, so what got you into the game of Imperial Assault? Well, I've uh, been a board gamer and a card gamer for a really long time, uh, like quite a while. That's kind of how my wife and I got together was through gaming. And oh, nice. uh, it kind of became a, a, a sort of tradition Uh, in our marriage of buying each other games for Christmas. And one year she bought me this game called Imperial Assault that she heard was the new hotness that everyone loved. And uh, like most board gamers will attest to it, it sat on my shelf (laughs) for quite a while before I could get around, before I could get around to actually playing it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That, that just tends to happen when you're a board gamer, but uh, I did eventually end up uh, starting to play it. We tried out the campaign and I was like, this is, a lot of fun. I'm super into this. This is everything I want out of a, out of a miniatures game, which is, it's funny. Cause I don't, I don't play miniatures games. Like I've never played a war game. Uh, anything you measure with tape tape is not part of my gaming experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, it, 
it's it's very outside my comfort zone while being adjacent to my comfort zone and i have i have dove super hard into it that's awesome and it's really interesting to hear because almost every time we bring on some someone new to the built on here podcast they do tell us 99 percent of the time that yeah i started with campaign and then i got into skirmish which mm-hmm. you know I, I just find so interesting that they've been able that ffg managed to design a game so good and intricate that it pulled people to the competitive mode through the story one which i find so interesting so I have to ask, which of you two played Empire when you started campaign? She. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We started with the app, so we no ah. one, no one played Empire. But in Skirmish, she was the Empire player. Oh, interesting. So, so you were very late bloomers then. You know, you started playing after yes. the app came out. That's very interesting. And so, how long have you been playing Skirmish for then? So I actually learned this. I re-remembered this by. Uh, uh, when I was researching to write my uh, my intro article, mm. because I had to, I needed to know when uh, when I started, and the way I marked when I started was what episode of Trin, Twin Troopers had come out uh, when I uh, when I first <laughs> oh. started, because that was the first piece of uh, I whenever I start a new game, I always look into what the community's opinions are on what's good. And Twin Troopers was the first piece of community media I found. Um, so I found episode 42, Drakata, uh, which came out in August of 2018, uh, was the first mm. piece of community media I saw. So that's that's where I started, was August of 2018. That's when I started to dive into Skirmish. That's very cool, and that's by far the most precise answer we've ever gotten <laughs> on the podcast. I, I love that. That's very cool. And yeah, the Twin Troopers podcast was absolutely amazing while it was running. Definitely something mm-hmm. I listen to a lot. Yeah, same. Uh, I, I got through a good chunk of it before I saw I, before I heard one of them. I think Jake mentioned uh, mentioned the existence of the Zion's Finest podcast, which then brought me to the Slack and the whole community, and that's where it went from there. Oh, that's Good awesome. Stuff. And so I have to ask then, on that vein, so what was it like then for you when you joined the steering committee and realized, okay, well, now I'm working with Jake, who was, who kind of, in a way, pulled you into Skirmish? It's pretty crazy, because it's, I mean, it, there's Jake, and I've also, I've met Chris one time, which is the only member of the com- of the committee that I've met before, um, mm. which was at my first tournament, which I think we're going to talk about later. But yeah, it's pretty crazy to, you know, to finally get to, hear the voices of you know people that i've but i've been uh, interacting with in this way that have brought me into this game now talking back to me directly and me talking to them <laughs> yeah that's awesome and I, I can definitely relate to that i mean when i first started meeting you know the greats like brett kelly and so i started playing against them online kenny brown and all those people it is a really really surreal experience which is very yeah. cool and the imperial assault community is definitely one of the greats too it really is. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I mean, you alluded to it. Uh, do you recall your first Imperial Assault tournament, and what did you find of it, and where was it? Yeah, actually, so it's my first and, sadly, only uh, in-person tournament I've ever attended. Um, oh, wow. Was, yeah, it was the regionals held in Indianapolis, uh, for which Chris Emick, as I mentioned, drove up from Kentucky to visit us. Um the year of the Spectre Bowl. That's uh, mm. that's the only tournament I ever got to go to. And he and I got to have a Spectre Mirror in which... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, good Lord. I mean, so mostly the vast majority of that, of that tournament was new players or 
players that were not following the community. So we got some wacky fun lists going on. There was some That's crazy awesome. stuff like un, you know, un would mall, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> all, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but there, you know, there was lots of fun stuff going on. Then there was me and Chris in the, uh, in the mirror. I think we met in the semifinals. I think he wins in the finals. I think that's how that ended up going. You'd have to ask Chris for sure if he won that regional, but I think so. I, I do recall him posting an image around that time of him winning a, I think like a four-player tournament something with, with Spectre. Uh, seven. Yep. <laughs> okay, seven. Okay, so maybe it was a different one then. But okay, yeah, that, that well, is very very cool. But using Spectre Cell against an unbuffed Maul, I mean, Chris, right. you should feel bad about yourself. Oh yeah, I mean, Chris should <laughs> be, feel incredibly guilty for, for many many things, but especially that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I'm kidding as well. It's pretty. Funny. It was it was fun though, because like he and I after our after our mirror match, we you know got into talking about the intricacies of like, oh, I made this decision with my command card deck and you made this one. Because what else is there to talk about in your Spectre Cell deck? <laughs> yeah, pretty what much. Was, what was your one-pointer? I was on that motivation game. I was I was Ooh. one of the motivation folks. Um, I think he ran extra armor. I think he ran extra armor. Um, but again, you'd have to ask him for sure. Uh, I do know he turned me on to hit and run. I remember that was uh, mm. something I wasn't I wasn't doing, but he was using that to uh, to get Ezra out of there after he'd soaked up a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And then of course, you know, it's Chris, right? So it inevitably the conversation inevitably delved into custom cards. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, yeah, exactly. Because it's Chris before before ICP. And uh, that's the conversation you're going to have with him. So it's Absolutely. funny because the wheels started turning for you know for being me being interested in what would eventually become ICP well before it existed. That is very interesting. And so I suppose on that vein, what made you decide to pursue ICP? Because it sounds like prior to ICP's formation, you weren't exactly a you know a player who went to uh, tons of tournaments and was really into the competitive no. scene. What then made the ISCP design or project or whatever you want to call it, what appealed about it to you? So I'm a mechanics guy. Uh, I really love game mechanics in any game that I play, board games, RPGs, you know, especially LARPs. You know, I'm a big LARPer, um, and I've been a big mechanics guy in all of those games. I, I write mechanics, I revise mechanics, I... I'm a rules guy. Like that's what I've always been. And I enjoy playing with that. If you, if you're a guy who enjoys mechanics in general, you're going to enjoy thinking over, well, what, what would I do different? How would I, how would I make this card more fun, more enjoyable for people? And that's just something I naturally do. So when I found out there was a hashtag custom skirmish channel on the Slack channel, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was someplace that I had to end up naturally and of course that's what brought me to the attention of the committee as i understand it yeah exactly that was definitely i mean i mean essentially for from what i could gather there were two reasons that as soon as noah stepped down you were the first name which came and there was basically no discussion it was just noah steps down first comment is basically josh question mark everyone josh yeah josh 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 and yeah, I mean, it's essentially twofold. One, because you were so engaged with creating new cards, and also two, because you had some really, really good criticism 
of what the IACP had been doing. And because essentially, you know, we don't want to pull on cheerleaders to our team. Everyone on the IACP steering committee has a different opinion about everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why, in my opinion, the cards we churn out become so good because they go through very intense scrutiny from basically all different archetypes of players, more or less. Obviously, there's only so much we can do with seven people. But as so I finally, I just wanted to ask, what kind of lists do you enjoy to play? You know, ICP, standard FFG, whatever. So that's that's a fun question, right? Because we've talked about how I started. My you know my home list, my my baby is Specter Cell, oh, and wow. you can and you can hate me for that. It, you can <laughs> um, really. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, if in the uh, in the vein of the Timmy Johnny Spike, I tend to be a Spike Johnny, mostly Spike. So yeah, of course I gravitated to Specter Cell. It was yeah. really good. <laughs> um, and if you're new to a game and you would like to be good at the game and you get to have Spectre Cell and some people are too good to play Spectre Cell, then, you know, you're going to have an advantage. <laughs> that, that's yeah, absolutely. Gonna, that's going to be something you get to benefit from. So, yeah, it absolutely increased my enjoyment of the game. That said, <laughs> I tend to be really all over the place uh, with my list building. I like to explore every archetype. Um, I have definitely devoted a good chunk of time to Jedi. I mean, that's what I played through most of uh season. Which season did Jin come out? Three? Uh, four. I think Jin was season four. I think she's been... Yeah, wasn't she season one? Changed quite a few times. No, no, I'm sorry. Erso. Jin Erso. Oh, 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 Jin Erso. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. season four, yeah. Yeah, I, Jin Erso. Yeah, so I was running Jedi with Jin because Diala really loves that surge and she loves to heal the the damage from the strain oh, yeah. uh, for a voice oh, yeah. throw. So like those two go together really well. Uh, also channel the for healing from the channel, the force to search up your knowledge and defense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I, I put a lot of time into Jedi, but really I'm, I'm all over the map. There's, there's no list I won't play. That's very, very cool. All right, David, any questions before we jump into the first section of the, of the episode? Um, I think nothing else here. All right. Fair enough. All right, so Josh, just a few questions that I wanted to ask you about the steering committee, because obviously you just joined it recently, and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what how you found it being. So what have you enjoyed most about joining the steering committee now? So honestly, my favorite part was I got invited, and obviously, you know, I wasn't announced right away, but I dove in that day, and the committee was like, there were several members of the committee who were ready to engage with me on ideas, like the day that I was invited. And it was really fun to just hit the ground running with ideas like, here are the cool new things that that I'd like to do. I think these are ways that we could go with the next season. You know, it it was really fun just diving in headfirst. Yeah, I can absolutely imagine that. And it has almost been really, really refreshing. I mean, for me particularly, when you when you joined, I was in the middle of a one of the most intense revision periods of my life, which is why mm. I've I've just been so um, busy on both the podcast end and Imperial Assault end, and it's particularly the steering committee end. But even for me, who was barely on the Slack at that point, I could really get the sense of, okay, wow, this guy really, really cares about IACP and he's really passionate about designing cards, which was which was really, really, really nice to see added to the group. Obviously, you know, we're all already excited, but just having that fresh face enter and be so excited was really, really nice to see. Yeah, it sounds like you're bringing a lot of energy. So I, I, I gotta ask, do you have a um, a secret plan? Is there something you are looking to champion or you know improve specifically in your time on the steering committee? 
Uh, there's definitely one one thing that I've been pushing for, which is uh, we all have our pet cards that we work on, uh, you know, and we have our pet, our pet designs. But uh, the big thing I've been working on or talking about uh, on the steering committee side is I'd like to I think we can improve the way we approach our voting system to make sure that the people are really getting what they want out of it. Because I feel like we do have a bit of a checkered history in the steering committee of getting things approved that maybe shouldn't have been and some things that maybe weren't approved that should be. I think I think we I think we can do a better job of getting a sense of what the people actually want, what the community actually wants out of the game uh, and what they think is good and is bad for the game and what we should work on. Um, And I think it starts with the voting system. And I have an idea for that. Hopefully we'll be implementing it soon. We'll see. Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely been very, very interesting to to hear that from you in the committee. Um, I, I think you're really on something very, very good. We obviously have some disagreements about it, but I think I think the general idea is absolutely spot on because that's definitely been one of my biggest concerns about is how you know we say we've been saying for all these seasons how okay once we approve a card that card is then approved, and we do that because there are so many players who don't enjoy playing. in the playtest period because they just want to stick with a solid meta and then we've constantly been going back and changing cards and i don't don't think that's a good thing creating a new system which reduces the requirement for us to change solidly approved cards i just think is in every way a good a good system it's been very cool to see that right and so josh i also wanted to ask you what are some challenges that you face that you weren't expecting because obviously as a player previously of iacp Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Is there anything that you experienced which surprised you? Yeah, actually. So the the big surprise for me, and again, this really started day one, uh, when I dove into the the IACP Slack, I got on there and realized I knew that you guys had ideas that had not come out yet. I did not know the vast treasure trove of cards you have not released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were so many cards that have not been released at this point. Um, just whole swaths. It, it, it's, it's an absurd amount of content that is not, that has not made it into play yet. And and of course, you know, the first thing that happens when I dive in is everyone's like, hey, Josh, you should look at this card, this card, this card, this card. I'm, I'm like, slow down, guys. I, I'm enthusiastic, too. But man, that's a lot of old content to go through. Um, yeah. Thankfully, we use Slack and not Discord. So we at least have threads that I can look through rather than just endlessly scrolling upward. Um, so, yeah, I am very appreciative of that fact. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we were considering doing it as a as a Discord for a while. I, I, I'm not sure. Actually, no, I'm, I'm just talking nonsense here because the Slack the Slack was created before I joined, before season three. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there are pe- people underestimate just how much work goes into a season because on because even in this season we got complaints about how there were just too many cards that we released, and even there. We cut back so so much. So much. I, so I mean, much. Af- uh, not Afra. I, I mean, Afra was designed in season four, and Mara. I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know, we had some initial designs done for her in, you know, early season four, late season three, 
And there's just so much of that, which, you know, means that we get the best content out there. Because, you know, sometimes we just get this super crazy idea and we spend like five hours designing cards for it and seeing how it would work and talking about it. And then we realize, no, actually, that's crazy and stupid and bad. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> so there's just so much of that. Yeah, like I've, I mean, I've come across some, some content that we've worked on where we've been like, all right, thematically, this isn't even going to fit in by season seven. Right. We've already yeah. got we've already got our, the, our themes for season six and season seven. This is at least eight plus like the, mm. at the very earliest. So, yeah, exactly. we've, we've got so much to work on. And now we have new shows coming out that are going to give us even more content. Yeah, exactly. Which is going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, that's going to be great. Yeah, I do think that the future of IACP is very, very bright. You know, we've got an yeah. amazing committee got an amazing community which is growing and growing and growing and now that we can finally get back to in-person events that's going to be absolutely huge i think because again like david said the uk community has always been known for not really wanting to play online and you know we get a handful of course but it's not like with the americans where you know the, the americans make up a solid 80 percent of our of our online player base Do you know I, I think that's that's just because we were so spoiled for so long I yeah. mean, around around <laughs> London, we were attending you know, like six regionals each without having to fly or anything. Whereas the U.S. region is is so large. It, it really is, isn't it? And it's those geographical differences which I just find so interesting. Because I mean, just like just like you're saying, I've just been so used to every time there's a regional season. Regional season for me is not oh yes that'll be cool let's play a regional. It's been okay, regional season is where I go to between two and six events and do on my best. I get to visit different parts of the UK than I live. And that's what regional season has always been for me. Yeah, and you, you get one that's three hours away and you start to moan and then you, you remember <laughs> the Americans are flying like halfway across the country to go to a regional. Yeah, so, so Josh, the regional you went to, how close was that to your vicinity? Oh, very, very close for me. I, I live an hour north of Indianapolis. But yeah, just to chime in on what you're saying, Indiana, the state that I live in, is about half the size of England. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which really puts things into perspective. The UK is one tiny, tiny country. And, you know, I, I love it. It's, the UK is great. But it, 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 it does make going to tournaments so, so nice because it's not this huge commitment where you have to book a hotel and flight tickets five months in advance and everything like that. It's just, oh, um, there's a tournament up in Norfolk in two weeks. Yeah, let's go. Okay. <laughs> it's really that simple, which which I'm very, very thankful for, of course. Awesome. All right. So, Josh, here's another question that I wanted to ask you. What are you particularly excited about for the future of IACP? Again, obviously, no spoilers, but uh, without identifying particular cards, what kind of design types or anything like that are you looking forward to? Well, to answer bluntly, season six. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm, most ex I'm most excited about season six. But uh, specifically, I really enjoy playing with, uh, with card designs that make you think differently about the rules you already knew. Really, I like to, I like to explore ideas that uh, bend what you already understood about the game. Um, I really love uh, Mara's fast learner ability because that mm. that's the kind of that's the kind of ability that makes me go look at every card that's ever been printed <laughs> to think how what can I do what can I do with her 
you know, I really love fun ideas like that, that you know, she, that card, there's only a few words to that sentence. The implied impact of that sentence is huge. It means so much more than just those few words do. Um, I really love when you can get so much creative space out of a simple mechanic. And I, I love that we have a lot of ideas that are exploring stuff like that. Yeah, that, that is very, very well put. Because ultimately in the theory committee, what we do is that we try to follow the design advice of Todd, the creator of Imperial Assault, or one of the creators. Essentially, I, can't, I forget who did it, but someone asked him how he designed such amazing cards for Imperial Assault. And his answer was something which really sticks to me every time I think about designing a card, which is create the most interesting ability using as few words as possible. Yeah. And while it sounds simple, that is such a mind-blowing concept because especially for, you know, so David and I and a bunch of the other UK guys, we got into the Games Workshop's Middle-Earth Strategy Battle game a couple of months ago and really have been enjoying it. But the thing with that is because you you need like 20 different books and every book is like 500 pages just, mm -hmm. just to play the game, it means that they don't... Games Workshop could not care less about being concise with their rules. One right. one one person could have one, you know, one character in the game could have one A4's worth of rules on them, and that's perfectly fine. Whereas in Imperial Assault, you are completely limited to the tiny, tiny poker-sized card. And particularly, obviously, you know, when we're designing, we we try to think about you know people with eyesight issues of course because and if we cram yeah. too much card then the font size has to go down and then suddenly a lot of people can't read it without the magnifying glass and that's just bad of course so, so essentially when i design cards i try to stick to two abilities at most on a non-unique deployment three abilities at most on a unique deployment and just generally try to keep them as concise as possible. At most, three sentences. That's just my personal design style. I know that many other on the steering committee do completely different. You know, I mean, and you know, and that shows because Yoda, he's got what five abilities or something, which is fine, of course, because he doesn't have surges to worry about, so that definitely saves space. Yeah, and actually, we had an idea that may come up in season six that'll actually help us to save space and save and be more efficient in our usage of the text box. So. I, uh, I think mm. that will be a really cool thing uh, going forward. I'm very, very excited about that. I, I'm curious to see how that's going to be received by the community once we announce it, because I, I think it makes perfect logical sense. Some people might hate it, but I think it's going to, I think it's just going to improve the way we play Imperial Assault quite a lot and make things a whole lot easier and simpler. I yeah. think that, that simplicity is just one of the strengths of Imperial Assault. You, you get the, the depth but, you know, you just learn a few rules and you, you can play the game. Whereas for, for, like, this other game that we've been playing recently uh, by Games Workshop, I always have to look up some index page number for a random <laughs> keyword. <and> yeah. <laughs> like, seven minutes later, you, you roll a dice or something. <laughs> no, I've had my issues with FFG in the past, but I will say their rules reference guides are incredibly efficient. Mm. I, I appreciate being able to look through an alphabetized glossary for exactly the rule that I want. <laughs> that is super helpful. A hundred percent. All right, David, any, any questions that you want to ask about the steering committee? Well, many, many questions, but I don't think you, you will want to publicize the answers. <laughs> I'm sure they'll get very, very spoilery. Very well, well, I mean, I'm sure you can ask some of them, and then you know, Josh can just answer in as as less of a spoiler-esque fashion as possible. I think I think we can can leave it 
you can test my political dodging skills now. <laughs> uh, political softball. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't shouldn't just start asking you who who is your favorite other steering committee. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any people you think should not be on the steering? <laughs> Amazing question, David. I know. I know. Let's genuinely know though. <laughs> that's but, good. That's good. Right. So, Josh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to just, you know, just ask some questions. Obviously, you know, I know the things that 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 you do about the steering committee, but it's still nice to hear, especially for the listeners, to hear a fresh perspective on the steering committee from someone who is new to it, and particularly someone who was definitely demanded to, um, by the steering committee. You know, we've been wanting to get you in for months. The only reason we didn't get you in earlier was because we want to keep our numbers at seven. You know, we don't want to have too many members because yeah. that can just make things complicated and also seven is such a good number because it means there are no ties because there is nothing more frustrating than a tie when we start when right. we're trying to vote on a change or anything like that and let's be clear no one wanted to chase out noah because that guy's a workhorse like oh, absolutely. I, have, I have huge shoes to fill <laughs> in that respect so yeah mm. Absolutely. Noah's definitely going to be sadly missed, but not to the exclusion of how much we appreciate your work, of course. For sure. Of course, Noah Noah should still be a big part of the community moving forward still. Hopefully he might even get to play a game now. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I don't even know when he was able to play in tournaments because he was just constantly streaming and everything, constantly. All right. um, So the last thing that I want to talk about, and we can probably spend a good amount of time on this section because we've been pretty brief so far and that is the season five approval voting happened and so i think this is a good opportunity for us to first off discuss what happened with the voting and what we think about it but also you know give our general thoughts on season five in general now that we head into a a competitive season of iacp approved play and so josh do you want to kick it off by if if i ask you what surprised you about the results if anything. Honestly, I mean, you know, it's obviously it's the big standout thing, but I I was a little surprised that Assassinate didn't make the cut. That was yeah, that, that was unsuspected for me. I just being frank, I think the card that I expected wouldn't make the cut cuz it always seems to be like one card roughly. I thought it would be Rest in Peace. I I thought Yeah. And now now the thing is is I am happy that it was Assassinate not I'm not happy that it was assassinate. I liked assassinate, but Same. Yeah. I, I, but I think that it was not approved for the right reasons. If that makes sense, I think people people voted for it not to be an approved play because they thought it was bad for the game, not because they don't enjoy playing it, right? Because that's what I want out of the vote. You're voting for this to be illegal for anyone to play. So in that respect, I wouldn't want Rest in Peace to be banned. I wouldn't have been surprised if it got unapproved, you know, because people didn't enjoy playing it necessarily. But it's Mm. not, I don't want to ban my opponent from having it. Assassinate, I understand why someone might not want their opponent to have Assassinate. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Or at least the good Assassinate, right? Mm, Absolutely. And how about you, David? Did anything surprise you about the results? I think we probably have the same uh, the same surprise, but I'm curious to hear. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the spy stuff I was pretty surprised at. But mm. you you guys did a pretty good job in in toning things down in the the interim adjustments as well. 
you know, thing, things like uh, the slight slight changes to Afra and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I am really surprised. People seem to be totally okay with Callus. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely my biggest surprise as well. I mean, they they were more okay with Callus than with Apex Predator, which I I don't think was you know, <laughs> super strong. It, I like it. Callus was definitely good. I feel like he had a tendency to burst into fruit flavors uh, whenever he tried to play Face Me. I think Face Me was really the thing that I think Face Me allowed people to feel that he was not as good as he actually is. But Face Me prompts him to be played dangerously. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on there. And like I said, my biggest surprise is certainly Callus as well. And not only that, you know, if he... I, I was expecting him to get past because, you know, there wasn't enough uproar about him to even warrant him being changed in 5.1 or 5.2. So I was expecting him to get past. But the fact that he passed with the most margins out of any other figure, barring Aiden and Biv, as far as I can see, I could be wrong there, but he passed with 96.67% which is ridiculously large. And one thing I just want to touch on briefly is that, one, I'm very, very impressed that we actually got 30 ballots cast this time, and I didn't even vote because the voting was in the middle of my really intense period. That is a big increase from serious season, so I'm very good to see the growth. However, back to the point, I just... I, my biggest problem with Callus is just Fulcrum. I think it's busted that Empire has the ability to just draw an extra card every turn because, you know, the Empire's opponents, they, they don't care about having a Fulcrum ability because, you know, they're going to have R2, they're going to have Jabba, they're going to have Black Market Prices, they're going to have something, which means that they are okay with their card draw anyway. So the benefit is significantly more slated in the Empire player's advantage. And I, I just really dislike uh, the design, which we, we've said before, particularly on the Season uh, season 5 First Impressions episode. So that's probably my biggest surprise. I think I think what I I heard from a couple of people that I talked to is that they they tended to play command card decks that were less spy susceptible this season. Mm. Maybe because there's there's more spy, you know, because people can mess with your your command cards. People can use them sometimes. But but maybe that's that's kind of what the community wants you know because they're they're voting against the power card like assassinate and i know a lot of people don't like son of skywalker and focus on the kill so it, it's sort of like a move in another direction from those that style of play mm. yeah absolutely all right so josh back to you what are so j just take a handful what are some cards which you particularly agree with the fact that they were approved slash disapproved and this could be the same as your assassinate answer. I mean, that's that's definitely one aspect, right? Like, I I definitely I enjoyed assassinate as as printed, but I mean, it also the gin rummy effect doesn't really come up that much for me. I'm more just frustrated when I can't play assassinate with one other card. Like, that's the that's the most common scenario <laughs> with it where that rule yeah. comes up, and in that case, it's usually less fun but of course you know it's happened to me as the hunter player but yeah the cards that that i'm really happy with where they where they ended up in the numbers uh i really liked the way uh zuckus and dengar interacted with mern and mern mern was the highlight of this season to me i mean she was the most played figure from the season by a lot right she 
She yeah. out. She got outplayed. She outplayed Gideon, Zillow, and something else that's oh, really popular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she was the most play. Like she's now solidly a challenger to the Rebel Care package, legitimately. Um, but I mean, I I always said from the beginning I like her best in in Scum because she plays so well with Dengar and Zuckus and uh, Maul. Lots of oh, Maul. God, yeah. Maul doesn't get as much benefit from that surge, but but Dengar and Zuckus love it, um, and they're already really good with their cost reduction. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was happy to see them get approved. I really liked how HK ended up the once he went through his his rounds of changes. Uh, yeah, same. I'm, I'm I'm really happy with the version that we ended at. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean HK has had quite an adventure, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. I, I think we brought this up on the podcast before, but he was very very interesting to playtest uh, i mean he was he was obviously overpowered when we when we released him in season five i remember early testing there were a bunch of these kind of ridiculous examples of what what happened when hk shot whoever han ran the numbers um those are pretty much what you would expect when hk shot that figure which <laughs> exactly <laughs> Which, that's not a sign of really good luck fluke situations. That's a sign of yeah, HK exactly. too strong. <laughs> exactly. And he's just been through such a wild ride with so many revisions. I do think he's probably ended up as, at a pretty good point. I mean, again, yeah. I've played very, very little Imperial Assault in the last couple of months just because of my exams and everything. But I'm definitely looking forward to joining the approved league, uh, playing in as many tournaments as I can. And we'll see, potentially even starting up the Friday Imperial Assault live streams again. That would be good fun. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. So I, I think for me, some things that I particularly agreed with is Mara. I think Mara ended up very, very, very nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think she was good to begin with. Uh, but I do think that it was a good solution we had at the end where we just said, play any card except for Arching Shot because it just turned into a yeah. way too complicated you know, obviously, it does suck that we have to specifically say the exclusion. You know, it, it's obviously a lot more fun to find an intelligent solution to it, mm-hmm. thereby also future-proofing her card. But ultimately, there's only so much you can do. At the yeah. end her, of the her approval rate was really high, too. Also, 96+. plus. Mm. Yeah, she and Wampa are the two that got that rating that you, you didn't catch earlier. But, right. yeah. Okay. Yep. I was surprised Wampa got that high, I'll be honest. Wampa's fun. I still don't know that I would consider it a super competitive card, but mm. it is it is a fun card. It is a lot of fun to play mm. still at this point. Definitely. I think Wampa with Apex is pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They are absolutely gross. And the things that they can do, I've, I do remember playing some, Gale, some games against Kyle when he was running that Wampa. It's just gross, because if you play it well and you time it properly and you stack it up on your, all the bonuses and you got the cards... It does ludicrous amounts of damage and stuns and bleedings and cleaves and all all the gibberish, which is amazing. Uh, one thing which I was very very pleased to see is Biv being passed. I mean, I, I love Biv. Um, mm-hmm. In in campaign, I really hate him because he's just so boring. But in skirmish, <laughs> I think that we we really nailed his design. I think it was like season three or something. Um, however, he is, and you've probably learned this at this point, at this point Josh, in the steering committee, how. Eight points is the basically our mm-hmm. of, the devil, of the devil's number. It is so hard to design for because when you design a figure at eight points, almost always it's either busted 
or it's underpowered. Which is why so many of the changes that we introduced in this season were, okay, just stay away from 8, and let's in introduce some approved changes where we just change them from 8 points to 7. And they turned out to be really, really yep. decent and playable and good in that level. Yeah, and in my brief experience with with, uh, with this whole process, it appears that the solution to making an 8-point figure work is to make them 7 or 9 points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it is so strange. I think we've spoken about this before, you know, why this could be. I think it could just be the fact that eight points is exactly a fifth of your list. So if you were to, for example, take four, uh, take five seven-point figures, you would still have five points worth of upgrades in your list. So you could take Gideon and 3PO, that, which makes your list very, very good then because it elevates them significantly. However, with eight-point figures, just that one-point difference means that if you were to take five eight-point figures... You cannot take any upgrades. You would have to stick to four. And one eight-point figure is not substantially better than a seven-point figure, so much mm -hmm. so that it's worth having four eight-point figures versus five seven-point figures yeah. to have the same kind of support. So that's my theory on why it is just mathematically, but I find it interesting. It's definitely in the math. Yeah, yep. exactly. And so, David, what, um, what particularly did you agree with about the voting changes? Um, other than what we talked about, um, I don't know. I, I thought Davith was probably a bit needing another, I thought Davith probably does need another look. Not, not because I think the Davith is not good, but I think because just the other options are too good. Mm. You know, he's, he's one point short of a lot of serious monsters these days. You know, not everyone should be Ezra, but he's one point away from Ezra, and he really does not stack up against that. Exactly, and I think that the voting also does bear that out, because unless I'm mistaken here, looking through the data, apart from Assassinate, which obviously didn't get approved, Davith was the least approved figure in the season. Which, you know, obviously we're not going to change him. I don't think he needs changing. I th I've, for me, the way I, I actually think that Tabith is fine as is. And the reason for that is that Vanish is a ridiculously stupid command card. And so if you were to make him, say, Ezra level, then that is significantly worse than just having Ezra be Ezra. Because Ezra, sure, he can play land, that's all well and good. But Ezra can't play Vanish. And the amount of games I've had against Tabith... Before he was even changed by ICP, I remember playing against uh, Yepa uh, from the from the old Board Wars podcast from time to time, and he would always play Dabith. And the amount of times where I would have my Ranger list, I'm sitting back against his Jedi list, and then he puts Dabith in the middle of the board to block off a choke point, and then plays Vanish, and then you know next round he plays Take Initiative and exhausts Dabith. So I've just got this unkillable, ungetaroundable wall standing directly on an objective that that is a pain an absolute pain for anyone to deal with and so i feel like that because his command card is so good he shouldn't be at an ezra level yeah i mean i, I don't think he's that scary right now hmm. anyways you would have to buff him a lot to be become ezra yeah yeah absolutely all right so josh back over to you is there anything about the voting which you particularly disagreed with? And again, I, I, while I do like your interpretation of how voting for something means, um, or not not voting for something means banning it, I do also think that it's fair to say that 
if you are to vote down a card, you are also stopping it from getting into competitive play. So, you know, if there is a card which you consider to be overpowered or underpowered, not necessarily underpowered, but say overpowered, then, in my opinion at least, it's better to not get it in, and then we can, you know, just like with Deployed the Garrison, which passed with Flying Colors this turn, mm. which didn't do well at all in Season 4. Yeah, no, that's exactly my point. That That's exactly what I'm saying, is, uh, is that's the kind of cards that need to be voted no, right? You know, people people felt that way about assassinate or at least you know 40 percent of them did uh, i would i would assume i don't assume anyone was voting on assassinate because they thought it was underpowered exactly at least five damage yeah so i don't assume anyone of the 40 percent voted that way um but similarly right you know i could see in the last season, if someone had voted, for, if people had voted for Maul not to make it, or Darksaber not to make it anyways, that would make sense. They were voting that, if that was the case, they would have been voting that way because they thought he was overpowered. But Deploy the Garrison is a great example of the kind of card that I don't think should have gotten unapproved. Because I think people were voting against, I mean, there were some, There were. it was a very... It was a very uh, controversial card. There were some people yeah. who thought it was overpowered, and there were some people who thought it was underpowered. I personally was in the underpowered camp. I believe you were on the uh, very strong but but not too strong camp, I think, if I yeah. recall. Um, Correct. But there were definitely people who thought it was overpowered. If that was the majority of the people who had voted no on it, then, then we're achieving our, our aim there. But I don't think that's what happened with Deploy the Garrison. I think a good chunk of them, myself included, had voted no on it because it was underpowered. But that deprives you know you and Noah, who both really wanted to play that card in the approved mm. season, from being able to play it. And why do I care if you play an, un- you know, an underpowered card? If that's my assessment, why do I care if my opponent mm. plays that? So I don't. Yeah. So I don't want to ban people from playing cards just because I find it underpowered. You know, if you have fun with it, you have fun with it. You know, I, I brought Harsh Environment to a tournament. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it worked in a Jedi list. It made sense. I had, I had reasoning. <laughs> I mean, I, I can see it. I can see it. Okay, you know, I think you actually make a very valid point there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I said, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, there there's... So little reason to to restrict people from playing things they like because you you don't think it's good enough, you know. Yeah, th- that is actually a really good point. I think my only kind of not even a counter, but I do think that if we are <clears throat> talking about changing, I think there are two two points. One, if yes. we are changing a, an existing Imperial Assault card because we really try to, or I, I'm usually the most vocal proponent of this, but uh, we try to not change approved cards. So, yeah. you know, say, for example, I really want to play Leia, for example. And then we we do the change with Leia, we put it to seven points, but she's not good enough. So I wouldn't really run her in a competitive list. But if people do think that she is good enough, sure, that, that would be nice for them to be able to play it. But there are also people who want to be able to play it, but they don't want to feel like they are handicapping themselves by taking an underpowered card. So I, I, do, I do see that point a bit as well. Mm-hmm. I would like for people to be able to voice the opinion concretely to us that they think this card is fine to enter play as is, but needs work. We would like the the committee to go back and look at it again. That you know that's yeah. where that's where Biv was before this season. 
for example. Biv was Biv's design at eight was fine. It was cool, but he was not ready for prime time. <laughs> that, that's just uh, not where from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is, uh, that is really tough. I think a lot of people are probably afraid of voting something and then denying that card the ability mm -hmm. to be brought in line properly later on. Right, and the confusion goes both ways, right? Because we have, mm -hmm. I'm sure we have players out there who are voting no on something because they don't like it and they think it needs work, but accidentally banning someone from playing something that you know they thought was underpowered. But we have the inverse too, I'm sure. We have people who are going ahead and approving things because they don't want to keep people from playing what they enjoy, but mm. that card is not really ready for prime time like Biv, right? You know, we all approved Biv, but Biv wasn't ready. But the council takes that as Biv is good. We, we should run with him as is. No need to mm. change him. Because like you said, the philosophy is let's not change what's been approved. I get that, but I don't know if the community had a way to properly convey how they really felt about it before, you know, before we started locking that in. Exactly. Which is why I think that the, des the design that you came up with is very, very interesting. And I'm very curious to see how it turns out. Yeah. Same. Right. So, so for me, I mean, now that we've spoken about that, it's, I can't really say that there's too much that I, I disagree with it getting approved. So I'm just like going to focus about elements of cards, which I disagree being designed in, in, in beginning with. And for me, that's, I mean, I've, I've said this repeatedly, but the fact, it's just the fact that Cassian and K2 and Callus and Aiden and all of these figures and Mern have the spy keyword. I for, for mm. me, I think that we are going way too quickly into a spy-dominated meta, where a lot of games are going to be decided on, okay, well, who draws stretcher first? Because, yes, sure, it costs you an action, or now potentially a very big and good figure. You know, if Aiden plays stretcher, she's not really attacking that turn. That's just a reality. But the fact of how powerful those cards are, that you would be willing to say, okay, well, my seven-point Aiden figure, it, she's just not going to attack this turn. I'm just going to sit here, keep on tacking up, and I'm going to get rid of all your cards. And now I have the card advantage. The fact that now every list has that is, in my opinion, anyway, I, I don't like that design space. For me personally, the way that I enjoy spies is you can go crazy and go for an all-spy list. That's cool. That's fine. That works. But you are then paying for that because not all spies are incredible. Conversely, if you want to get spy splash in, well, then you are literally paying a tax to get that in. Because, you know, say in my Han Rangers list that I ran prior to IACP, nine activations, you had Mac. Okay, well, that's a three-point figure who is going to do nothing all game. You know, he's not going to shoot unless I unless I get a ridiculously lucky circumstance. He's not going to take objectives because he has to stay in the back corner of my deployment zone to play two, cut, two or three certain cards in my deck. And mm -hmm. I am paying a significant tax on that. You know, three, four points is, you know, that's a decent chunk. That's, you know, around 10% of your entire list, which could go into, you know, for the price of Mac, you get R2 in the list, which is huge. And I find, and for me, because of how the powerful the spy cards are, that tax was a good thing. But now we are looking at when you are comparing the value of the card you are getting compared to the value of the figure you are, quote-unquote, taxed to gain, it's now almost ineligible because you're getting a good figure 
who can play mm-hmm. these stupidly good cards, which, in my opinion, sadly, is probably going to mean that spy that spy cards have to be nerfed going forward. And I don't like that because I think spy cards are fine when you have to pay a cost to use them, which right now you really don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Loku is the beginning of that. Loku is when we yeah. saw we saw the dawn of the of the good spy. Mm-hmm like that he was the first yeah. one that's like wow this is a great figure i could run no spy cards in this list and i would be happy running loku in it yeah. like you could you could literally remove spy from his from his card he'd be a great card still he still would have been one of the most played cards of that whole season um 100 <laughs> percent. yeah and that's and that's on me too because i was a huge loku proponent because the way i saw it was just that okay well loku he's only five points so he he's still a chunk you know, he he's a he's a sacrifice yeah. to get, and I saw him as a support figure who could attack. What I didn't realize is what a slippery slope he actually was. To yeah. Be- and you know, it, it is what it is. Ultimately, you know, the Imperial Slot community is nothing if not adaptable. Uh, you know, right. we've gotten through some incredibly bad periods of this game's history. You know, the Spectral era. We've gone through four by four. And mm-hmm. still, we've got a very big, healthy community, which is growing, again, by the week. I see new people joining the Slack and Discord almost every single day, which is just really, really great to see. And so, you know, I don't think this means that, oh, Imperial Soul is ruined, yada, yada, yada. It's right, always great, right. and, it, and, it, and it always will be. And if, it turn, and, if it, and if it becomes less great, then we will make it greater, you know? We'll just uh, adjust some things around. It's not too hard to do. But I just think it's a shame that, un- that until that's done, I think you now just have to run spies in your list. I, I don't think there's a way to really get around it. Yeah, and I think cancels are are a bit of a you know controversial play experience. I know I know a lot of people say they're fine, but if you look at any you know card card game that has a heavy say cancel or counter faction like Blue and Magic or Scorpion and L five R. There are a lot of people that just don't have fun playing against these things. Yeah, exactly. And even though Imperial Assault is on the mend ultimately at the moment, it is also a reality that every time we've had one of those bad periods in in Imperial Assault, we've seen less players. You know, there's no there's no doubt that we have less players now than we did just before the Spectral era. And obviously, that has to do with FFG deciding to discontinue the game, but also just because of how Spectral was. You know, I know people who they who they just said that, yeah, well, I don't really want to play against 10 Spectacles every tournament I go to, so I'm out. I'm jumping onto Legion, or I'm jumping onto a different game. And I, I get yeah. that. Yeah. On the, on the subject of the Spies, though, with Loku and everything, I think Loku's great as design. I, I think the... I think the... Uh, the, the hidden effect, and this has been my experience, too, with this season, right? We got a lot of great Spies... I have seen maybe two strat shifts because one of the side effects of this is if all your if all your spies are great attackers, they don't have the action to spare to play strat shift. Hmm. You know, I, I can hang back with Loku and play strat shift all day. He's got nothing better to do with his time. Or not Loku, <laughs> Mac. Mac is who I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, Mac. Yeah, I can hang back with Mac and play strat shift all day. He's never leaving the deployment zone. But... <laughs> But Loku and Cassian, right? I need to be killing people with <laughs> with those figures. Um, mm. I can't necessarily spare an action now. Loku and Cassian are, in particular, the figures who can get away with it kind of the most because they have that ability to shoot through other figures. Their priority target or sniper configuration, in the case of Cassian, 
So yeah. they can kind of hole up, and, you know, behind a wall of figures and play strat shift and still get a shot off sometimes, um, even through that. But yeah, like Aiden, I I can I've played Aiden most this uh, this season, and the scenarios in which I can play strat shift with her are few and far between. She's got to be busy getting around the board. Interesting. Yeah, no, I absolutely get that line of thinking. I just think that the ability to play strat shift is, unless you are in a very bad situation and your opponent has a lot of tempo advantage, they are in your face. Unless that really happens, it, I would absolutely sacrifice an attack on Aiden to be able to play it because it stops my opponent way more substantially than one Aiden attack into one of their good figures will do. Again, that's obviously situational. Sometimes it is very important. Sometimes you have to kill that Jawa to take them off the objective, off the terminal for a turn. That could absolutely be bigger than playing it. And obviously with strategy, if you want to be careful when you play it, if you wait for too long, your opponent is going to bang out all of their cards immediately before you get the chance to play it. If you play it too early, yeah. then they're just going to redraw their hand before they engage you. Yeah, or, or they'll just um, you know, cancel your strat shift with their other spy cards. Yeah, exactly, which is absolutely the possibility, which is why in the Spy versus Spy matchup, you want to be the one who plays Strat Shift first. Because if you're not, you're a little bit screwed. <laughs> because they are going to keep that, on punishing you. That's just you. annoying, you know, because we, we've talked to almost about how the whole uh, take initiative negation thing is actually, you know, is is a mechanic that sometimes a lot of people don't like either. Because you, you don't want these sort of auto-include random cards that if I get it, it has a huge impact on the game. If I don't, uh-oh. I've, I've seen so many games where somebody gets strat-shifted and the rest of the game is just a painful demonstration of why having command cards is better than not having <laughs> command cards. <laughs> yeah. Mm. True. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I, this is where I differ from a lot of people in, in game design theory. Uh, the idea of auto-includes, I think they're good for a game. Too many is a problem. But I yeah. think having some consistency, some things that you can... I mean, and also not just teaching, you know, for certainly teaching new players the game, being able to say, hey, you know, here's where you should start. Take initiative, negation, element of surprise, planning. You know, kick, this, kick off your list with these and then sprinkle in things that are particular to your list. But similarly, the Rebel Care Package, right? You know, people think of that as limiting the game. I think of that as reducing the analysis paralysis. You know, yeah. it, that's 3PO, R2, and Gideon. That's eight points I don't have to think about in, in the vast majority of my list. The only time that changes is Yoda or Mern, right? They, they will yeah. mix that up a bit. I, that's that's nice and it offers some consistency in lists and you it also helps you to know what you can expect going into a game this is what i'm going to be up against you don't have to that's it's three less cards you have to memorize you know <laughs> like you you know what they do um you don't have to learn what your opponent's cards are going to do as a new player yeah i'm i'm kind of okay but also not okay with auto includes i mean back if you played hunters a lot your your deck was pretty much set, and you could be clever. You could be like, "Ooh, I don't play tough luck, and I play, I don't know, primary target." Now, primary target was pretty good. Some other one one pointer. You know, your your flex in list building was so small, and I think spike players don't care. 
but you, mm. you end up with the same specter cell problem you know i don't pull out my hunter deck and i decide on one card out of 15 it's not amazing i think it's it's that threshold you're talking about you know exactly that's the too many scenario yeah <laughs> how how many in a command deck do you do you guys think is the right number of auto includes uh, I would probably personally say around five. And actually, just uh, quickly cycling back to the take initiative thing, I actually think the take initiative and negation combo is great for the game. One, like Josh said so brilliantly, is that it allows you to introduce a new player and say, okay, it doesn't matter what list you play, unless you're running a crazy list, you know, three activation or something, you always want to have these mm-hmm. two cards in your deck. I think that's a good thing. And it, it means because if you tell a new player that, oh yeah, so this game is so balanced, uh, just look at all of these 500 plus cards and just choose whatever you want. That you know that's going to be really really daunting for a new player, uh, but secondly also because yes it's it's a shame that the take initiative negation is an auto include, however, and therefore it is an a guaranteed thing that happens in every game, but what happens without those two cards is even more of a guaranteed every single game because if you a hundred percent of the time know who will be activating first in what turn. That is huge and really, really contributes towards the game feeling less dynamic and you are more stuck in your actions because that is ultimately what happens. I do remember yeah. after Worlds 2018, I want to say it was, when we had the No 16 tournament, which basically was all the cards that were played in the Top 16 cut were banned from the tournament. It was a Vassal tournament. And what happened was that people figured out pretty quickly that oh, wow, well, now that Take Initiative and all of that stuff is gone, because I'm pretty sure that someone had, it might have been Gil or something, um, had run the Han Take Initiative card as well in the top 16. So everything was out, which meant that if you have an Alpha Strike figure and then just a bunch of crap in your list, then you are going to get the last activation every single round, and you are going to get the first activation exactly when you know you're going to get it, which means you can have IG, uh, well, IG was obviously banned, but, you know, take a one of the big figures, run a bunch of run a bunch of activations in there and then just really spam it and it turned into a much less dynamic game because that constant fear of hmm my opponent could have taken initiative what do i do about that it makes the game a lot more interesting i mean i, I think that's more an, an issue of just the the game that we play sort of needs take initiative yeah not not that having you know those types of auto includes is necessarily amazing that's fair but i do agree with josh honestly yeah you're 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 discussing two issues you're discussing uh, isaac is discussing the specific you know take initiative issue david is addressing is auto includes good for a game in general yeah to answer david's question on how many auto includes i think is good in the case of a command card list um i think about a third so about five um is roughly good really it boils down to i think like roughly 80 percent of my zero cost cards tend to be no-brainers 80 to 100 percent that's really where the auto includes come in is to your zero cost because zero cost cards some of them are so efficient it's usually the tightest com- competing spot on my list i've almost considered cutting to 14 command card points before um, just to fit in some of these great zero cost cards they they overperform movement cards planning element take of course (laughs) yeah and then i I guess you've got you've got the soft auto includes too though because i i tend to agree one third is probably a good number but then if you Mm -hmm. if you consider 
the auto includes for the the list that you're playing yeah it tends to go quite high so that could also you know have just have to do with the amount of options out there you know a lot of of traits or keywords or whatever they have one alpha strike card so you're going to take the alpha strike card but if if hunters had two different three point cards they would very rarely take both of them i'd say they would probably just take one of them, and then you would have more options. So I don't necessarily think that's a case of, well, look, now it's an auto-include. I think it's more of a, well, you want to run your list in a way which optimizes the, the archetype you are using. And if you have little options in the archetype, then you are going to obviously gravitate towards the few options you have, which can make them seem like auto-includes, when really they just, they're just your only options. Yeah, so I mean, like, assassinate, assassinate is not a, uh, it's not an auto-include you don't have to play hunters, <laughs> you know, but, but if you want to play hunters, if you want that to be a central theme of your list, you should include them. Yeah. And that, what we're really talking about there in that subject, and this kind of comes back to my experience with MTG is it's a matter of the meta being solved. When you, mm. when you look at competitive deck lists in magic, the gathering, for example, you'll find like, this is the top tier deck. There are three cards in this 60 card deck that you can change. <laughs> pretty much like yeah. like those are the that's the differences you'll find between what the pros are playing of it because they just put in so many reps literally tens of thousands of reps with those lists that yeah of course you know they know exactly what the best cards are that's just mathematically true and you know hunters has seen a lot of play over the life of this game it is i would say probably the most tested list archetype in imperial assault i i would venture to say like as, as on the competitive yeah. level we as a community have a pretty good sense of what the best hunter cards are hmm. yeah i do think that's a very very good point because things become auto includes because people figure out that they're just the best thing it doesn't mean that they're necessarily designed badly and that goes for both ffg and icp cards imperial assault is, has a very intelligent community base generally speaking mm-hmm. and people figure out what's good and that's what I've always been saying about designing ISCP cards. We should not aim to make every card top tier. Yeah. Because that's just, one, it's not feasible, and two, it's boring. It, honestly, I find it boring. If you can choose to run exactly whatever you want, that means that when you are planning and you're testing for a tournament and you're, you know, you're playtesting, you're getting games and you want to get an idea of what, you, what you're going to face... In my opinion, that's just boring if you if you can't do that because then it's just well, I could go against twenty wampers, or I could go against a trooper swarm, or I could go against Jedi, or okay, if there are unlimited amounts of archetypes that you could be facing, that means that a lot of it is more going to have to do with your luck in game because you're not going to be as well prepared. Just mathematically, if you if you design every new card to be top tier, not every card is top tier. Something in that list yeah. of new cards is top tier, and something is bottom. Now, that may mean that you just produced a whole set of cards where the bottom tier is better than the average existing card, <laughs> and that's probably not good on a power creep scale, um, but mm. that's, that is a possible result. You know, you do, have to, you do have to design with the intent that, hey, maybe this card won't be the best, but it should be a fun and acceptable play, you know, a, a fun yeah. and acceptable thing to include in your list. I mean, the, the other, other kind of argument could be that we, we are playing a game that is not so much about deck design. 
and if you look at the archetypes, you know, hunt, hunter, smuggler, uh, spies, force users, whatever, the, it, it's meant to be that there are a couple of really good cards that support each one of these, right? Mm. You're, you're not building a combo of, of command cards in between archetypes, usually, that pulls off some really strange effect in-game. I'm not sure what you're saying there. I don't think I followed. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, how wh whether actually the soft auto-includes count as auto-includes, or if they just count as deployment choices, as, as I think you were trying to get at earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it really just has to do with what list you've decided to play. You know, and if you if you decide you're going to play Han Rangers, that's a very solved list. Yeah. You know, people like Isaac have put a ton of time into that list and into figuring out exactly what are the best cards for it. And of course, you know, much of this, just like with Magic the Gathering, it also has to do with who talks the loudest, <laughs> frankly speaking. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like, it, there, there could absolutely be some Wunderkind that comes through the game and is like, hey, I came up with this idea where I could run Han with Rangers and I have come up with this idea completely independently. Here's my command card list. And it's totally different from Isaac's and mm. better. But because Isaac is the voice of Han Rangers in the community, we all thought his version was the best. And then this guy just wipes all wipes the floor with all of us <laughs> with his with his even better version. I don't think that's going to happen. But you know what I mean? That's that's a, a thing that can happen. The, the community's uh, investment in the, its voices can absolutely paint the picture of what are the auto includes. I think we actually we actually had a big wave of really unique lists after Spectre Bowl. Oh yeah, you know a, t a ton of stuff that people thought were not viable. I mean, Mern made it to semifinals at a nationals or something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you always have those fun exceptions like that. See. I, I do come from, you know, the world of playing Magic competitively, right? So I enjoy a degree of, like, here's a completely solved list. Play it and see how well you can do. Because at that point, you're no longer doing list building at all. You're seeing who can play the game against the other person better. And it's just about it's just about play skill at that point. It has nothing to do with list building skill. And that's a fun challenge, but it's not what I want to do all the time. That is a thing, though that I had hoped when ICP first started the idea of let's separate playtesting from approved play, I had hoped that we might get some of that out of the approved play is the level of community discussion of lists and starting to settle on what are the really good lists, what's top tier right now. I still don't know if our approved play period is long enough for that to crystallize before we start to get into the next season. Yeah. Alrighty, yeah, I've, honestly, I think there have been some really, really good points made in this episode, and I think we're probably going to start wrap, wrapping it up here. Yeah, I, I, really, I really enjoyed where this one went. I think that we've had a very good discussion about the different things involved in IACP, both, both in design and playing in practice, because, and ultimately that is something that I did want to touch on, that Josh mentioned, about how the voices in the community affect how we play lists. That is absolutely true, which is why when the Zion's Finest podcast was ending, David, Jess, and I got together and we decided to create the Built on Hope podcast because we, we know how important how important having a voice in the community actually is to the growth of the game. Yeah. 
and that is also what we've been trying to do as well with the say the matchup analysis segments where we bring on different top tier players maybe players who you know they are very very well known and they're very good good and solid players but you know they don't host a podcast they don't do live streams they don't do, they don't do anything like that so people don't really know what's actually going on inside their heads which is why episodes like this one where you know it was much more focused on you know interviewing josh and seeing what he thought and then the i mean just say take our last matchup analysis segment where we brought on joey and discussed the tuscan raiders people you know just weren't playing tuscan raiders but i do think that that episode one it shows us what a what an opinion about imperial assault is because you know joey doesn't appear on too many podcasts um, I, I, I think he was on a couple of times in the, on the Zion's Finest, but again, Zion's Finest was now years ago at this point. And I just think that that's generally a good thing, and it's what we want to try and do here. So ultimately, you know, if anyone wants to come onto the podcast and talk about their thoughts about the game, be sure to reach out to us, because we're always happy to talk to absolutely anyone. If you're new, old, anything about the community, definitely want to make sure that we just spread the voice of the community. I would actually love to do a new player episode at some point just to discuss what it's like starting Imperial Assault in IACP. Oh, that would actually be really fun. Now that you mentioned I do, I'm actually thinking of a few people who would be actually pretty perfect for that. Yeah, because we've got a bunch of new players that have come in, mm. which is which is really fun to see after a game that is hashtag dead game, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, you know we're still bringing in new players, and that, that's really awesome. Exactly, and I think much... much to, of that has to do with the Jedi Trials League. I, it was a genius idea. I think it was Chris who came up with it originally. Mm-hmm. It's just such a genius idea. This whole because obviously it is daunting, you know, when when you know that such a big percentage of the community of IACP, you know, that national champions, regional champions, VSC champions, when everyone, when you know, when your first couple of games is against those people. Personally, I enjoy, you know, when I play the Middle Earth Strategy Battle game that we got into recently, I want to play against among the best because so i get stomped because the, the the harder you get stomped the quicker you learn the game that's just a fact if you learn the game by playing against newer players it's going to take you a longer time but it's also going to be a much more enjoyable experience because the game isn't going to be over in five minutes <laughs> so yeah. you know it's, it's all about finding the balance if you only play against new players as a new player you're not going to grow in the game if you only play against if you only play against the top tier players you might not have that much fun if you take particular join winning if you don't care about winning and you just want to learn, then great, you know, get as many games in against the veterans as possible. But yeah. sometimes, you know, even just for yourself and just for a moral victory, it's nice to actually get a win in every now and then. For sure. Yeah, I know. I, I've historically kind of battled with, uh, I, I get I get anxiety about looking dumb in front of people, especially strangers. So like, you know, maybe sometimes when DT would put look, put up that he was looking for a game, I would choose not to accept that game. <laughs> <laughs> I would wait till someone else did. Um, you know, but yeah, like, I definitely get that. So the Jedi Trials is a great idea. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I, I know you know some of my very good friends. Uh, that I've known for several years, they've gotten into the game through the Jedi Trials, which is just such an amazing, amazing thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm generally I'm very excited about the future of ICP. But yeah, so before we head off, any closing thoughts? Well, just you know about the future of ICP in general, or about anything we spoke about today, Josh? For you, much excite. <laughs> I'm very, <laughs> I am very excited about where we're going with things. Like I said, we've got so many new ideas. Mm. Season six is going to be absolutely kick ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is good to hear. I mean, see, the season five was pretty exciting too when it came out. Yeah, exactly. All right, and 
David, any closing thoughts for you? Yeah, definitely sounds like there is a lot of stuff coming up. And, you know, I, I am really hoping that being able to play in person will revive a lot of the other scenes around the world. Exactly. And so once again, remember UK Games Expo, our event, you know, we don't know when the event is, but most likely it's going to be on the 31st of July and the 1st of August in Birmingham in 2021. So if you can make it, if you're in Europe, if you're in the UK, if you are in America, doesn't matter where you are, if you want to come and visit and get a game in, be sure to do it. And and like David said, it is possible that tickets will be restricted. So get in early, get your ticket early if you do want to play, because it would be such a shame to have people make plans to come and then, you know, they can't get into the event because of restrictions. So keep on your A game and get in as soon as you can. Yeah. So t- tickets are not not up for sale yet. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying go go and look to buy tickets now. Oh, I will make more announcements when that happens. Exactly, and we might even do a just a tiny five, two-minute episode on Built on Hope and just put it out and say, okay, guys, tickets are up now so that everyone can know when to get them. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. It's been an absolute great one. I'm very glad to be back doing podcasts again. It's been far, far too long. But the Imperial Assault Continuity Project is looking up, and I'm very excited for the future. And we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.